0: Welcome to the CSIS Asia Podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm your host, Colum Quinn. We'll start as we always do with the region's news. Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with Taiwan's President Ma Ying Zhou in Singapore on Saturday, November 7th. This will be the first meeting between the leaders of these two nations in 66 years. Relations have been frayed since the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949, which saw the KMT party of Chiang Kai-shek flee to Taiwan in the face of Mao Zedong's communist forces. In Myanmar, citizens around the country are preparing to vote in landmark elections on Sunday. Both Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy Party and the ruling Union Development Solidarity Party held rallies for their supporters as candidates for each of Myanmar's legislative districts concluded their two-month campaigns. After meeting with South Korean President Park Yun-hae in Tokyo, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe stated that it would be difficult to finalise negotiations to settle the comfort women issue by the end of the year, but pledged to speed up the talks. The World War II imperial Japanese military mistreatment of Korean women remains a controversial topic which looms over Japan-Korea relations. In New Delhi, decorated Indian author Arundhati Roy said she plans to return a national award over the recent murders of Indian writers. More than 50 historians and 40 writers have controversially returned wards over what they call rising intolerance in India against rationalism. Critics of the movement charge the campaign is politically motivated. In Washington, the United States Trade Representative released the full text of the Trans-Pacific Partnership Free Trade Agreement on its website for public review. And that's the news. This week, we hear from U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes, who discussed his recent trip to Myanmar and what the White House is watching for in the upcoming elections. Ben sat down with Sumitro Chair for Southeast Asia Studies, Ernie Bauer, at CSIS.
1: Good afternoon. I'm Ernie Bauer with the Sumitro Chair here at CSIS. I'm here with Ben Rhodes, the Assistant to the President and Deputy National Security Advisor. Ben has just been to Burma uh, on October 18th to 20th as it was his fourth trip to the country, and he's been, uh, two of those trips have been with President Obama. Uh, Ben, we want to ask you about uh, your assessment of the election that will take place on Sunday in Burma. How will the United States uh, assess uh, the the results of that election?
2: Well, we think, first of all, it's a critical milestone in Burma's democratic transition. Um, It's not going to fix all the problems uh, in Burma. There are structural issues that prevent a full transition to civilian rule, such as a 25% block in the parliament that's reserved for the military no matter what the election result. However, it could be a step forward for Burma. Uh, and the way we're going to look at it is is this election a credible, inclusive, and transparent election uh, that reflects the will of the people of Burma? Uh, and the types of things you look for there are do international monitors have broad access uh, to the election, the campaigns, the polling sites? Uh, Are people able uh, to express their will and vote free of intimidation? Uh, Are populations disadvantaged uh, by cancellations at polling sites based on their political preferences, uh, or are there transparent reasons that can be explained for why uh, there are problems in certain parts of the country? Um, So we'll be able to draw on a body of reporting from international monitors and organizations that have a lot of experience. Um, monitoring elections, including American organizations like the Carter Center. Um, and then we'll be able, I think, to make a determination as to whether this was, uh, again, a credible uh, and reasonably free election uh, that uh, re- reflects the will of the people, uh, even as it doesn't resolve all the issues that have to be addressed uh, as part of Burma's transition.
1: When will you have a sense of what happened uh, in the election? Will will we know the next day? Will it take a week? And what's the U.S. toolkit to respond? I mean, if if this goes well, uh, there might be a set of responses. Uh, If it's the worst possible scenario, you know, there might be other responses. How are you thinking about that?
2: Well, first of all, I think there will be fairly good reporting relatively soon after the election. The first two or three days. Uh, I met with all the international monitors, uh, in Yangon, the EU, um, the Carter Center, NDI, others. uh, They will be issuing their own reports um, relatively soon after the election. Um, We'll have reporting from international media. We'll have reporting from, frankly, different civil society organizations and political actors in Burma. And I think we'll look at that universe of information and be able to make a a reasonably good judgment about the conduct of the election in those initial days uh, afterwards. However, then there's a question of whether the result is respected. Um, In the past, that's been an issue uh, in Burmese elections, notably when Aung San Suu Kyi was first imprisoned uh, back in 1980 – after the 1989 uh, campaign there. And um, and so we'll want to make sure that it's not just the election, it's what happens after. Um, And it's very important that the different political elites, uh, institutions in the country are able to find a way to work together as a parliament is seated and ultimately a president is chosen next year. For the United States, I think uh, there is still much promise that is unfulfilled in terms of our engagement with Burma. There's still very minimal economic activity in terms of investment. I think a lot of companies are hedging their bets and waiting to see how this election and other uh, events go. We still have uh, sanctions, including a very powerful SDN list that is in place, even if we are not, haven't been populating it uh, with the same uh, vigor as we had it uh, before the democratic transition. Uh, we still have yet to expand our military to military engagement with Burma to right. the extent to which they might uh, want us to. So uh, there's a lot of potential uh, that could come to Burma, not just from the United States, but from the international community, I think, if this is seen as a successful election. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a step backwards, if certainly you have a result that is not respected, um, clearly that is going to put a chill on uh, additional activity. And again, not just from the United States, I think from other like-minded international partners.
1: The president really made a historic bet on on, on Burma, uh, and you were at the White House when he did it. What is uh, – how, how did he think about that? What, what is – what was his ambition for uh, – decided to travel there at, at a time where it was, must have been a very politically hard, tough decision to make? Well, you know, um,
2: first of all, Burma is at the intersection of, I think, uh, several different important interests. Know, this is a big country in Southeast Asia with enormous promise that is not at all fulfilled. Yeah. And we've made Southeast Asia, ASEAN, a focus of the rebalance. Uh, and frankly, if we could expand relations with a growing uh, economy and a developing democracy in Burma, that is hugely to our benefit and to our uh, strategic interests and economic interests. Uh, second, this country's had a long standing and bipartisan commitment to democracy and human rights in Burma. Uh, and what we saw in 2011 was a, uh, you know, an alignment of different factors, uh, an, o- uh, an increased openness from the military and from the insane in particular to go down a road of democratization, but also an investment from Aung San Suu Kyi, who had been released from prison to enter the political process, uh, to stand for election herself as a parliamentarian. Um, uh, while that had not yet happened at the point the president could see those forces uh, emerging, it yeah. made the determination it was worth it. And that leads to the third factor, which is – He said in his inaugural, he would uh, extend a hand if countries unclenched their fists. And that's what we saw happening in Burma. Uh, And while the outcome is still very uncertain, uh, we think the bet was very much worth it, um, given how
1: much promise there is in the country. It certainly had a huge impact on our ability to engage at the ASEAN level and strategically. Ben Rhodes, thanks for your great work, and and thanks for coming to CSIS. Thanks. Good to see you. Thank you.
0: And that was Ben Rhodes. Now on to our one to watch, decoding the language of pandas. Scientists and linguists in Sichuan teamed up to assess the behaviour of the world-renowned black and white bears in a five-year project. They reported this week that they've identified 13 specific vocalisations pandas use to communicate. Because adult giant pandas are typically solitary, The researchers had to start by assessing panda mothers and communication with their cubs. It turns out typical panda cubs only learn a few distinct phrases to say they're hungry or share their basic feelings. The group plans to develop high-tech voice recognition software that would translate the panda's speech. Experts said that if they can understand the panda's language, it will help them protect the endangered animals. Fewer than 2,000 pandas live in the wild, mostly in the provinces of Sichuan and Shanxi in China. And that's our show for this week. You can always find more at cogitator.com and csis.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out our Island Tracker and Maritime Specific Analysis on the Age of Maritime Transparency Initiative, or AMTI, microsite. I'm Colin Quinn. Thanks for listening.